there's so many things that the world thinks that we need to know. From the moment we're born, you begin to be tracked, um, even before you're born, your progress. Um, and then once you're born, you're learning, your growth, uh, to make sure that you're developing properly and that you're learning what you should be learning at that stage in life. When you begin public schooling, teachers make sure that you know all the skills and knowledge that you should to be successful. Uh, basic math, shapes and colors, um, how to count, how to read, uh, how to phrase questions properly, how to relate to each other. Uh, that's something that we don't necessarily know when we're toddlers. And then when you get older, you begin to be taught about history, um, science, life skills. Uh, and then when you become a, an adult, you're not necessarily taught some of these, but you begin to learn more things uh, about life that maybe should be taught, like budgeting and taxes, uh, cooking. Uh, but there's so many uh, things that the world thinks you need to know. And when you become an adult, there's a bunch of self-help books written to try and um, teach you about all the things you should know to be successful in life. Um, things, three things you need to know about this or seven steps to achieve that. Um, and the church is no different. Uh, if you grew up in church, uh, in Sunday school, uh, at some point someone decided the things that you needed to know um, as a child growing up in church about God. Um, which Sunday school lessons do we teach uh, to children? And then there's a whole bunch of books written uh, for Christians, uh, what you need to know, things you should know, um, some more things you should know about this that maybe you didn't know already. Uh, and then every week someone gets up here and tells you what they think you should know. Um, but then there's so much knowledge and information in the world around us. Uh, and there's no way we can all possibly know everything about everything. Um, but so at the end of the day, someone has sat down and decided what it is you need to know to be successful. What you need to know as you grow and develop. Someone's decided this is what you absolutely have to know to, to live and be successful in this world, to be successful as a Christian. Um, and today we're going to look at one of those need-to-know topics. Um, the author of James, which is the letter we're looking at today, uh, he believed that this topic was so important that before he taught it to his readers, he wrote this in Greek, know this. And that's what it says in English, but in Greek it's actually a command, which is kind of interesting. It's not... Like saying know this isn't something we would usually consider a command, but in Greek, when he's saying this, he's using this as a command, commanding people to know what he's about to say. Everything else he writes in this letter is important, and there's other commands, but this is something you had to absolutely know. Uh, hear it, remember it, follow it, and do it. Learn it, live it, know it. And what is this topic that's so important that this author directly commands the reader to know what it is that he's about to say. Anger. And this is such an important subject, because we all get angry. Uh, and being angry in the 21st century is probably more common than being happy. Uh, something as simple as driving to town can uh, make my blood boil. And it's such an easy emotion to feel, but it's such a difficult emotion to control. And I know it probably seems kind of strange to get up and talk about anger on Valentine's Day. <laughs> and actually, I wasn't going to say this, but we were, um, we were out for supper last night with my in-laws. Uh, we got pizza, and 
they were asking what I was speaking about today, and I said, I'm going to talk about anger. My father-in-law said, you can't do that on Valentine's Day. <laughs> but anger is such a prevalent problem. It keeps us from being able to love. And that's why I think it's so important, especially on a day about love. Because learning to control our anger increases our capacity and our ability to love others. The Apostle John speaks of love and hate on a spectrum. Um, and he also talks about things like light and darkness on a spectrum. Uh, and the idea is that um, they contrast each other. While there's times when anger is justified, which we'll talk about, oftentimes our anger is not necessary, it's not beneficial. And in our lives, we're always moving towards one end or the other um, as a whole. Now, as Christians, we're called to allow God to transform our lives and our minds to live more like Jesus. And because of Jesus, we have the freedom to pursue this without fear of punishment if we mess up. And that's great because, boy, do we mess up. But human anger is controlling. It's evil, and it's incompatible with life in Christ. So to you and me, the author of James says, know this. Everyone needs to learn to master their anger because human anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. So we're going to be in James 1, verses 19 to 20, if you have your Bible with you. And it says this, and I'm, I have the ESV translation this week. Just fun fact, I don't have a specific loyalty to different translations. Usually I'll study it in... Greek, and then the NASB, which is fairly close to Greek, and then I'll see which one kind of carries the original thought the best of the Greek. So this time I picked ESV. I'll explain why in a minute. But James 1, verses 19 to 21 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore... Putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, let's start by looking at the first couple verses. Uh, the first thing I want to do is talk about a little more of that phrase, know this. Um, the Greek word here is what's called an active imperative verb. So it's something you actively do, and it's a verb, so it's an action word, um, but it's an imperative and in Greek, that means it's a command. Um, and we've looked at a few of those in Scripture over the past few weeks, uh, commands. You know, we looked at the uh, go and make disciples. Uh, and so these commands, it wasn't something that was optional for the readers. Now, some translations of the Bible translate this as, um, this is something you know, but... Um, and then that part about know this. And that's not really how it's translated here. Uh, and so I don't really like that translation. It kind of makes it sound like it's connected to what's before it. And in a way it is, but that's not, he's not trying to make a conjunction with that word. Um, he's actually saying, know this. Uh, and then he's giving you something to know. So there's this Greek word, it's, D-E, day, um, and we don't have an equivalent in English, and that's what comes right after know this, know this day, 
Um, it's, so we don't have a way to translate that word perfectly in English because we don't have an equivalent, but it, it kind of um, functions as a conjunction to what's after that. Um, so we would use, like, a lot of places put in the word but. That doesn't really fit. Um, the best way to translate this in English would be to replace it with a colon, if that makes sense. So they didn't necessarily have colons in Greek, but know this day, I mean, know this, and then here's the this that you need to know. So that's what he's doing here. So this is the command, know this. What is it that we need to know? Here it is. Every person should be these three things. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's pretty good advice, uh, pretty basic advice, uh, but it's really hard to apply. And the description here is one that's painted often throughout the book of Proverbs. Um, the picture of a wise, righteous person. So Proverbs 10, 19 says, Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he restrains his lips as wise. So, essentially, stop talking <laughs> and listen. Um, sometimes we need to do less of this and more of this and open our ears. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's Proverbs 15, 1. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. It's Proverbs 17, 27 to 28. Um, I really like verses like that in the Bible sometimes. Um, sometimes we put it up on this, like, holy pedestal, which is a holy book, but there's some pretty good stuff in there. Uh, stuff that can kind of make you giggle to yourself when you're at home. You know, e even an idiot, when he keeps quiet, is considered wise. <laughs> some good stuff. <laughs> Proverbs 14, 29, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. And then here in James, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I think these apply both to our relationship with others and our relationship with God. When God was uh, walking among us in the flesh as Jesus, he often used the phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is actually a bit of... Um, imagery in Judaism that's used often. There's an idea in Judaism uh, related to the ear. Uh, so in the Bible, the ear was uh, described and kind of recognized as an organ, an organ of cognition, as the brains, um, along with the heart and the mind. So they used these different organs to describe functions of the, the brain, what we would call the brain now. So in Proverbs 2, 2, it says, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. So true hearing in the biblical sense means to both listen and to understand, to seek and to test. Job 34, 16 says, But you have understanding. Hear this. Listen to the sound of my words. Not listen to my words, but listen to the sound of them. And then in Job 12, 11, does not the ear test words as the palate tastes its food? So most ancient religions, especially during that time, they sought revelation through the eyes and through visions. Uh, but throughout the Bible, God's people, they sought revelation through the ears. 
and through hearing God. And that represented the proper response to him. And the best example of this is all the places in the Bible where we see people not doing that, uh, where they're rebelling against God. And just as the Bible describes hearts being hardened, it talks often about people who do not hear. Isaiah 48.8 is an example of this. You have not heard, you have not known. Even from long ago, your ear has not been opened. So this is kind of a biblical concept around the ears. Not only in our dealings with others, but with God, should, be, should we be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? And that's what a wise biblical person looks like. Now, again, that's much easier said than done. But the point here is the next verse, James 1.20, and this is kind of the point of this whole passage. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And that's really what I want to focus on. Um, you know, especially in our society, there are so many resources that tell you how to work on anger and to control your anger. I'm not a psychologist or counselor, but I do study the Bible, and so I can tell you why it matters and why we should try to change um, and why, if you're struggling, you should look for those resources. What's the reasoning? Why is it so important for us to know that we need to not let anger control our lives? It matters because everyone who has a relationship with Jesus has signed up to be a part of a race. And we talk a lot about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that part. And again, that's important, <laughs> obviously. Um, we talk about how he's paid for our sins. We talk about how because of his sacrifice, our sins are forgiven, and we're no longer held to a standard we can never measure up to. Don't forget about that part, because sometimes when you're studying one part of the Bible, it's easy to see what's being said there and forget the greater context. So remember that part as the context of the New Testament, the gospel, the good news. Remember that because at the same time, we have to remember that becoming a Christ follower is just part of the journey. It's the beginning. It's where you start. Faith demands action. Um, Romans, it's, um, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But then James, faith without works is dead. So we have to remember the greater context of Scripture. There's a lot here. Uh, and we can't zoom in on one part. We have to see it all. And so this part here uh, is about the action part. Just don't forget about the other part. So this is actually a huge theme through the book of James. Huge. Um, just a couple verses right after our passage that kind of illustrates this idea. Uh, James 1, verses 22 to 25. But prove yourself doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And this is why it matters. It matters because our sins have been forgiven and paid for, and we no longer have the requirement of being perfect to be a child of God. But now we have the opportunity, because of that, to strive to become more like Jesus every day without worrying about what happens when we fail and don't hit the mark. And the people, 
Jesus, or that the people that James was writing to understood that. They got that and they, they, they shared that desire. They wanted to be like Jesus. And James says, listen, if you live your life in anger, you're not living as Christ did. Because human anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is what we're all racing towards, even though that process won't be complete in our lifetime, um, not during our human life here on earth. And that's not easy. It requires hard choices, but it's worth it. James 1.21, this is the end of that passage, says this, Therefore, because of everything we just talked about, the command, um, slow to speak, slow to become angry, um, Therefore, because of all of that, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, implanted by the Holy Spirit, which is able to save your souls. So from there, let's talk about application. Because we all have things that make us angry and frustrated. It's a well-trained habit that's hard to break. How does this all connect to our lives? Because, you know, it's easy for me to get up and say, don't let anger control you, but... There's a lot to be angry about. <laughs> uh, just a story from my life. I used to work at a company called Screenscape Networks. Um, best job I ever had. Loved it. I miss it a lot of the time. Uh, I loved the office environment. I, I had great coworkers. There was a few people at my job that I actually went to church with. Awesome people. It was great. Um, they brought us baked goods every Wednesday. <laughs> like, it was an awesome place to work. Uh, a lot of things you don't often find in a job, but the only downside was that my actual job job, what I was being paid to do, was helping customers on the phone with technical problems. And I love working with technology, but I have a really, really hard time being a positive customer service type personality with someone who's angry at me because something they bought from the company I work for doesn't work. If someone is mad, even if it's not personally at me, I can struggle to um, not take that personally. And, and over time, I found that, that uh, it made me bitter. Uh, you know, not being able to take someone's anger personally in a customer service job, if you've ever worked in that type of industry, it's a pretty important quality to have if you're gonna work in that kind of job. Um, but I would just find myself, uh, over the course of the years that I was working there, becoming bitter and hashing over these conversations at home, um, and just boiling with rage at how, at, at how unjust it was that these people were angry at me about this, which they weren't. Um, but I didn't like who I was becoming as a person as a result of that. I was letting this anger control me and control my life. And eventually I decided that if I couldn't control my anger in that role, if it was controlling me, I had to do something about that. Because the anger I felt at customers who honestly were just frustrated and confused and needing help, and is this recorded? Okay, never mind. <laughs> I was just going to say, maybe their anger was probably justified in some of the stuff. <laughs> and, um, they were just frustrated, and it was just, it was legitimate. But the anger I felt was just human anger and human frustration, and living in that was in no way bringing about the righteousness of God in my life. And I had to make a decision. So the first thing you need to take away from this passage is that controlling human anger is really important. 
because it prevents us from becoming more Christ-like. Remember at the beginning I said about the spectrum uh, that John talks about. There's love and hate. And there's not like, I'm love about all this stuff, and then I'm hate a little bit about this, or somewhere in the middle, that's okay. You're traveling in one direction or the other. Um, and, and so we're not perfect, but we want to make sure we're, you know, driving in the right direction. James says the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. And as Christians, that's what we're striving for. We won't get it perfect, but that's what we're shooting for. And this is important. He says you need to know this. So much sin is born out of anger. In verse 21, James essentially says, um, summarized with all the context, do what you've got to do to get rid of the anger in your heart. Uh, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus says that if your eye or hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off or gouge it out. Now, I'm not trying to take that as a literal interpretation. Don't start gouging your eyes out. Um, but at the same time, he's saying this is important. Like, if, if you've got to change something in your life to prevent something that you can't control from controlling you, do it. Uh, I love my former office. I miss it a lot of the time, but the job itself was causing me to be filled with anger, and I made a decision. Um, not an easy one. But we have to be ready to make those decisions, to not allow it to control our lives if we can't control it. Now, there's lots of other things I get angry about too. I'm not a perfect person. Um, you know, I get angry at drivers on the road. I talked about that a few times. Um, I haven't worked out how to overcome that perfectly for sure. Um, although Larissa does usually on a road trip, she'll limit me to three complaints a trip. I can use them however I want. But once they're gone, they're gone. <laughs> and that's it. I kind of uh, realized that if I just make it one big long rant, that it casts as one. So it just doesn't end. But, yeah. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but the point isn't for us to be perfect. And again, this is why I keep talking about and kind of sidetracking and saying, remember the context of Scripture. The point's not to be perfect. It's to recognize human anger for what it is and its destructive nature because so much sin and pain and suffering is born from anger. And if you allow it to, it will control your life. Again, that spectrum, love and hate, that's why we're talking about this on Valentine's Day. Second thing you need to know, and I didn't talk about this yet, but there is such a thing as righteous anger. Jesus got angry. James specifically says in our passage that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, but there is righteous anger. And there's times when we should feel angry. When you see oppression and unjust hurt and pain in the world, that should make you angry. Proverbs 31, 8-9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And then Psalm 82.3 says, Give justice to the poor and orphan, uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Listen, we're all made in the image of God, every one of us. And when people who are made in the image of God are being oppressed, treated unjustly, being murdered, that should 
make you angry. And biblically, not only should it make us angry, it's our job to be angry at injustice such as this. It's our job to stand up for those who are oppressed, to defend their rights and to seek justice and to correct oppression. While anger can control you, and while anger can be unhealthy, there is such a thing as righteous anger. There's most definitely a time to be angry. And you do need to know that and understand that as well, because it's really important. Third, and I kind of mentioned this already, you'll never be perfect. Like I said before, I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that Jesus has already paid for all your sins. You no longer have to be a perfect person to achieve righteousness in God's eyes. He's covered that for you. He's paid the price for your sin. But that gives us the freedom to strive for godliness without fear of what will happen when we fail. And as we run this race, the Holy Spirit works in you and changes you and makes you holy. This is called sanctification. It's a fancy word we use for the process of being made holy. And this isn't a process that's complete in our time on earth. But it's a process that we begin the moment we become a Christ follower. That's why it's so important to try and recognize where we are on the spectrums. Jesus has us covered. We'll never be perfect, and that's okay. But we still run the race. We still strive for perfection and allow the Holy Spirit to do its work in us. And I had the thought when I was writing this that it's kind of like learning to swim on your dad's shoulders instead of being pushed off the end of a pier and left aground. Richard Foster says this, Conversion doesn't make us perfect, but it does catapult us into a total experience of discipleship that affects and infects every sphere of our living. The goal isn't perfection, but faith in Jesus should change you. And if you pursue him, it will infect every part of your life for the better. And that means the pressure of being perfect is gone, which is great. But you also... Uh, you don't have to worry about being a perfect person to meet God's standard, but it just so happens that he wants us to allow him to change us and become, begin to become holy through his spirit. And it just so happens that one of the things we have to be willing to let him work on and we have to be willing to let go of is our anger. So I'm going to wrap this up and summarize it and conclude it. There's things you need to know in life. One of those things that you need to know and you need to understand, what you need to hear from this is that our human anger does not bring about the righteousness of God in our lives. We need to recognize it for what it is. It's destructive nature because so much sin and so much pain and suffering is born from anger. That said, there's still a time to be angry and there's a thing as righteous anger. Even Jesus got angry sometimes. He flipped tables. It was awesome. <laughs> There is injustice and oppression in the world. But there's also dumb drivers or angry customers on the phone. We have to know the difference between when we should be angry and when we can't let anger control us. If you allow anger to control you, it will flow throughout all the areas of your life. It can and it will cause you to sin. Now, controlling your anger is easier said than done. Believe me, I know. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I always joke that it's, it's so weird that people let you get up and speak when you're just as messed up as everyone else, but um, sometimes more. But um, I get this. But we need to let go. 
not just of anger, but of trying to be perfect. Jesus has you covered, and a spirit is willing to work on you and to make you a new creation, if you're willing. So let's all strive to follow his will for us in this, because his ways are higher than our ways, and he wants what is best for his children. I'll close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the blessings you've given us, and I thank you for your son Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. I just ask that you would help us to allow your spirit to work in us, to allow us not to be creatures of anger, but to allow us to be filled with your love for others. I ask that you would help us to be convicted, to stand up for those who we should be angry for, on behalf of. I just ask that you would work in us to know the difference. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.